Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show, the very first guest of 2020 is Junior Brother. But the interview was recorded in 2019, so I don't know if it's technically a brand new episode, but it was recorded live at the Kino in Cork City as part of the Quiet Lights Festival. Thanks a million to John Pearson and everybody involved in that festival for asking me to be involved. And thanks to Ronan Keeley, a.k.a. Junior Brother, for taking the time to chat. He was playing a show later in the day, so uh, he came down a little bit earlier to uh, facilitate the interview Hope you had a nice Christmas and a new year and hope you're ready to hit 2020 running. We have lots of interviews planned for the podcast over the coming week. So hopefully we're going to keep it weekly every Tuesday so you can come back and check out new episodes every Tuesday on the feed and subscribe and tell your friends and like it and rate it on iTunes. Uh, That would be greatly appreciated like a New Year's resolution. You're going to hear a couple of tracks over the coming hour. I did a live show for Quarter Block Party early in 2019, talking to uh, two authors, Roisin Kelly and Caroline O'Donoghue, and Junior Brother played a couple of tracks uh, at the start and the end of that interview. So I just kind of clipped them and put them in here as well. The first is Coping, which opens Pull the Right Rope, which was my favourite album of 2019. I think it's uh, absolutely Brilliant. And the Choice Prize shortlist is announced this week for Irish Album of 2019. So I really, really hope that Junior Brother is on that list. It would definitely be deserved. It came out on Strange Brew just before the summer. And Strange Brew Records have just got a great hit list at the moment. They also released albums by Squarehead last year and Dahi as well. So yeah, they're hitting the right notes. And Paddy Hanna released his album uh, with them a couple of years ago as well so coping is the first track that you're going to hear after i finish this introduction then in the middle you're going to hear a little bit of purple circle off that album which was the standard track for me and we talk about it a little bit so i thought i'd just put that in there for a little bit of context just to jog the memory if that if that post festive fog is still there clouding clouding your memory so you get a little bit of Purple Circle and then at the end you're going to actually hear a new song. I guess it's a new old song that Junior Brother has that he played back in February 2019. So hopefully it's going to get uh, made into a proper recording for his second album, which he says might be recorded this year. Hopefully it might get released this year as well. That would be great. The song is called No Country for Young Men. So you can hear that at uh, the end of the podcast as well. So yeah, Coping is up first, and then you're going to hear myself chatting with Ronan, aka Junior Brother, in the Kino on a pretty miserable Sunday afternoon in late November 2019. Thanks, as always, for listening, and yeah, this is Coping by Junior Brother. I attempt to empty my vocabulary in writing these letters signed for to be sent all the way to Dublin. Across the 
a widget today I can feel my brain say I can hear him sliver Ring against my skull I was mad to believe This life thing was easy But I was beginning As a very young Delighted to be here and delighted to be joined by uh, Ronan, aka Junior Brother. Am I giving your name away? Are you like okay with people knowing your real name? Some people who have these monikers don't like uh, their real name being in the public eye. Like Mango is Mango is one, and there's another couple. Like nobody knows Blind by Boat Club's uh, real name. No, it's okay. I have nothing to hide. Yes, you're, you're an open book, as you said just before we came on. Yeah, I'm an open book. I'll regret saying that now, halfway yeah. through this interview, probably when the awkward questions are coming out about yeah. my personal life. But sure, look, I'm an open book, and these are the things that happen when you're an open book. So uh, bring it on. My, my book of notes are closed at the moment, so we'll, we might open that up later on, and uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it deep. But uh, yeah. you were out last night. Uh, you were playing a gig in Limerick, and it sounded like it went uh, really well, and you had a little bit of a, a session. Afterwards, how are you, how are you feeling uh, this morning? How was the gig last night? Grand. I kind of dipped out of the uh, development kind of early enough. So uh, I was happy with how I conducted myself post-gig. And the gig itself was nice as well. It was in Dolan's upstairs, which is a great spot to play. So, um, Is that one of the things that you don't get prepared about? The kind of the session or the staying out after the gig and the drinking after the gig, the inevitable, like, has to be done. Uh, you've done... A lot of shows in 2019 and you've had a great year and we'll uh, try and cover as much of that as we can over the next 40 minutes or so but like uh, yeah the, the the drinking after the shows is it does it ever get um, too much? Uh, I don't know. No. You're experienced enough at it? Yeah well like I wouldn't do it every night I suppose uh, but you know 
if you do a good show and like afterwards you kind of you're like all right a pint would be lovely now to reward myself um but yeah i suppose it's possible to get into a bad habit of it but i think i'm i'm a good boy most of the time believe it or not <laughs> um like one of the things we were saying before we came up on stage was just like limerick is just one of these little cities that's kind of brewing and it's got a really nice scene and you said that there's kind of nice scenes all over the place. Is that something that you've just like experienced and kind of um, reveled in a little bit just over over the years you've played around the around the country? Yeah, it's like when you go around gigging, you really see it. Uh, maybe more so than if I wasn't gigging, you know, around the place. Um, but like there's lovely scenes popping up, like Dundalk, Limerick, as you said, here in Cork as well, um, all over the place, up in Belfast as well. Just all over the country, there's just DIY scenes popping up. Um, it's great to see, like, I mean, in a place like even Dundalk or Limerick, even as you said. Dundalk. Uh, yeah, well, I was thinking in terms of Dublin, you know, like uh, people think everything's centered around Dublin, but places like Dundalk, I would say, have a bit of a stronger scene, you know. Um, I don't know if there's something in the water in these places or, or what, but... Uh, yeah, it's just it's great that like the music scene in Ireland isn't centered around Dublin where uh it very easily could be, do you know. Well, I guess that's kind of one of the one of the parts of the Junior Brother story. Maybe we'll just get into it now. Like you're born in Kerry and like you moved up to Dublin um I don't know, was it a couple of years ago? Mm. Now, like did you move up like with the music industry in quote marks in 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 your head, you know, like that's where you have to be to be seen, that's where like you know, you get regular gigs, like you've got to be living there at least for a while if you want to kind of uh, make some sort of impact. Yeah, I would have got, I would have like, um, there was just kind of no, nowhere I could, I felt I could really play uh, down home. I was living here for a while as well, but I was in UCC just being a silly art student, not doing much except for uh, pretending to study and drinking. Um, so I wasn't playing gigs when I was living here either, but it was a case of like, right, I'm going to go for this music thing and the like leap mentally and physically that I made that was like, right, I'm being serious about this was moving to Dublin, which seemed like a mad thing at the time. And when I did it, I was like in Dublin, didn't have a job or a place to stay. I was like, fuck, I actually regret this now. Shit, <laughs> what am I going to do? And then I just started just gigging and gigging and gigging just because I was up there and I was like, right, I better start playing music. So if I moved up here to be a musician. So it was like a leap I made, uh, which made me kind of take it seriously, forced me to take everything seriously. Whereas it was easy down home to just be like, fall into cover gigs and stuff. Because I used to play piano and keyboards in cover bands down there. Uh, and I kind of, it was breaking away from that scene as well. I felt I had to, I had to move away for that, to get away from that as well. Uh, and also my stuff is quite niche and weird. And there's more space in a city like Dublin to kind of fit in if you're weird, if you're playing weird stuff and to maybe find an audience uh, if, it's, if it's niche music, do you know what I mean? You know? 
And so, like, do you think that you could have stayed in Kerry now? Like, what, what you're saying with kind of there's different scenes all over the country. Do you feel like you could have stayed in Killarney and it would have been grand? You would have, like, now it might be okay. It's kind of more, I, I, I don't know, does it actually matter, like, going to Dublin anymore? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can only speculate, I suppose. Like, I suppose, like, with the internet, no, you can kind of, you, you, you don't really have to move anywhere, no, you can... But like in terms of actually gigging, I think I had to go to somewhere like Dublin, you know, um, just to get better even like at gigging, uh, going to open mics and stuff and just playing anywhere, just like honing the craft. Uh, whereas if I was back in Kerry, I'd probably just be putting stuff up on SoundCloud and hoping somebody would hear it, you know, um, and just remaining at the same level in terms of how I perform. So... Yeah, in terms of just gigging, uh, like, it was definitely, I think, the right thing for me to do anyway, yeah. Um, I interviewed you uh, at the start of the year, just before you played at um, Quarter Block Party. I did an interview over email with you for the Irish Examiner, and it's a great interview. I highly recommend it if anybody wants more, more Junior Brother. But one of the things that stood out to me was the fact you said that music when you started playing was kind of like a solitary experience for you because it, it sounds like it wasn't really a musical family uh, that you grew up in. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Like that seems almost uh, counter to how everybody else gets into folk or trad music or wh how, however you, you want to define the type of music you play. Like what was it that made you pick up the acoustic guitar and maybe move from say the piano? Like when, when did music become a thing in your life? Um, very early on, I suppose. But I was always very creative. I was always drawing and stuff. And then when I discovered I was musical, then it was just another way of expressing creativity. Like, like from when I first learned the guitar when I was about nine, I started writing songs on the guitar immediately. Like, so it was never a thing like just playing instruments for the sake of it. It was always playing instruments to create. So um, I would have I would have attached myself to playing music because I was musical, but also because I could create stuff through it as well, you know. Um, and as you said, in terms of like it being a solitary thing, um, yeah, like there were, no one in my family being musical meant that I just kind of stayed at it myself. And uh, also kind of living in a place where if you, if you can't drive, you can't really go anywhere. So I was kind of stuck at home a lot as a kid, not really going out. So there was nothing else I could do but try to get better and teach myself instruments and stuff. So I was a sad child, quite a pathetic little boy, <laughs> staying at home, teaching myself the fucking piano and guitar. What a life. That was my childhood. Um, but like, did the musical family members kind of uh, encourage you when they found out that you were doing that? Like, I mean, w was the family encouraging and like nobody said like, what, what are you doing playing that? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, no, very encouraging. Like, yeah, it was a mixture of like, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's the weird son that doesn't play football, but also um, leave him at it kind of thing because he's not causing any trouble, so... Can't be too bad. No, it was always very encouraging, all right? Like, yeah. Um, my mother's side of the family, 
while not being like musical necessarily, like two of my uncles kind of messed around with the guitar and uh, would like sing ballads and stuff at like family sessions. So I, they were like it was people I, especially one of my uncles would have, I would have kind of looked up to early on a little bit. Um, but other than that, it was just myself, yeah, really, just working away. Um, yeah, but other than that, there was no real influence from, from anywhere other than just me being on my own, just being stubborn, and playing on the piano. And I also, um, I'm sure uh, all of my neighbours around my parish close to my house were very, very grateful when I started teaching myself the drums. They were very, they were really, really, were really happy with that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you weren't particularly drawn to the guitar. First of all, you kind of dabbled in a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I learned the piano first and then when I was eight and then the next year I started teaching myself the guitar and then the year after that I started teaching myself the drums and for Christmas my parents got me this shitty drum kit which I say they still to this day regret that. They probably have not retained their hearing still to this day. Uh, so those those three years where it all went wrong. Yeah. Um, like the the kind of trad and folk bands that I've talked to, the likes of E Vagabonds, um, uh, the Merry Wallopers as well, who you've played gigs with, they talk about this like huge repertoire of like old songs that they can draw on. Like the the three guys from TPM say that they know like like 150 songs each sort of thing because you know that they can just draw on, or it's there in the back of their mind that they can that they can uh, uh, just get if needed, like at a session or something. Is that like where does the folk and trad stuff? come for you is is that in there as well is that something that you were playing when you were like learning guitar like learning the the, the old stuff uh no not really like um for me like growing up like tread or like traditional stuff to me was like was like rock music like you know that was like that was the stuff i was like oh, i'm bored of this and like traditional music was like the exciting thing like so it's kind of kind of flipped like it's like it went took like a generation for like tried to be like to seem like an exciting thing maybe that's what Brian says in the, in the documentary that was on here <laughs> that's probably where I got it from subconsciously <laughs> uh, uh, in the documentary backwards <laughs> to go forwards I think that's what it's called um, yeah that Miles well, O'Reilly made it's true I think you know like definitely like uh, when you grow up and something is seems like a tradition you're like okay it is what it is but then when you discover it for yourself and then you can make something of it yourself and make it your own, then uh, it's just, it's not a traditional thing. It's like discovering, it's like discovering anything for the first time, you know. Um, so that's why I wouldn't even call it traditional music, you know, folk music, I suppose you'd call it. But yeah, so for me, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have learned any, ballads or anything growing up. It was something I found myself, you know. And I'd say the TPM lads would probably tell you the same thing, like, you know, it's just out of kind of stubbornness, maybe you could call it, or, or just being interested in just looking elsewhere other than, like, what all your friends' bands are playing, you know. 
you know, Strokes covers and Arctic Monkeys covers and stuff. You're like, oh, this is getting a bit shit. Oh, what's this? Planksty body band. This is amazing stuff. Um, but also, I got into like the folk thing as well, just because when I started leaving home, when I was about 17, I kind of, I suppose, started being homesick and really like started romanticizing the area where I grew up and where I'm from. And, you know, folk music was the closest I could get to replicating the kind of feeling of the landscape. Um, so that really got me into kind of natural sounding music, you know. Um, so I, can, I just discovered it all myself, basically, you know, and got interested in it out of just finding it exciting myself, you know. And so when did the, the Junior Brother thing start then? It's like, I think he put up uh, an EP or a couple of songs in like 2016, was it? Yeah. Just up on, on Bandcamp. Like, was, it, was mm. it there for a couple of years, kind of festering under? Were you kind of like wondering what kind of music you were going to make? Like, and did you always think it would be kind of a solo thing? Like, did you want a band like Planksty? Yeah, like, I would have loved to have been in a band. I'd still love to be in a band, if anybody wants to be in a band with me. Uh, <laughs> but I think most like solo acts like secretly want to be in bands like, but it's just out of. Um, for my case, it was like not meeting like-minded people necessarily. I mean, there was people like I was in bands and stuff and made great friends through being in bands and all that stuff. But I never really, never really met anyone who was like truly kind of like-minded until like maybe I like moved up to Dublin, kind of started doing the Junior Brother stuff. Um, so it was kind of out of, uh, not necessity, but like, it was the only way I could be satisfied fully from music, was just to follow my own instincts on my own. And I've never been a band person anyway, really, uh, sadly. Uh, like, kind of, collaborating or like it's like writing a song instead of trying to convince someone else your idea so they'll go along with it if you're just on your own you've no one to convince you know only the little voice in your head uh <laughs> does anybody else have a voice in their head no just me um but like the the junior brother uh stuff like i mean hungover at mass is probably a lot of people's first introduction um to you and like it definitely stands as its own thing like it is kind of this kind of odd off kilter thing were you ever kind of like discouraged from singing the way you do or anything like that like what what are you doing singing like that sing sing the proper way yeah yeah big time like yeah and, um. and like was it just yourself who was like, I, I know what I'm doing. Do you have to be like very kind of singular minded, I guess, when you're, when you're, I guess a solo act maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, stubborn, I suppose, like, uh, like, I don't know. We just, you, you just kind of trust your own instincts, I suppose. And uh, from being encouraged growing up just to be creative, I suppose it comes from that, but I don't know where it comes from really, that kind of willingness to follow your own, uh, the willingness to, to, to follow your own path and, and, and um, not try to sound like anyone else or think like anyone else, 
despite pushback. Well, you just learn to just ignore that stuff anyway, after a while. Um, and like it was big for me, like discovering a few artists. Like uh, when I first heard, I suppose Damien Dempsey first when I was very young, and uh, then Joanna Newsom a few years later. Um, like there, I didn't think I could sing for years. Like probably still can't sing to be honest. Depends on who's at, who you're asking, but. Uh, <laughs> Like listening to people who like conventionally probably don't have good voices um, sounding really like good and doing interesting things like that made me then kind of go all right so and then I kind of found the way I sing now. Uh, whereas I'm not sure if I would have as quickly if I didn't discover those kind of artists singing kind of weird ways. So like there's a few acts I listened to yeah and they kind of. I suppose gave me the encouragement to to sing, you know. Uh, would Lisa O'Neill be uh, an influence as well? Just because she would have been making music around like the the, the mid or releasing music as Lisa O'Neill that we know now, mm. just kind of like the mid yeah. the mid twenty uh, tens, and she has a very distinctive voice as yeah, well. Like yeah, yeah. It, hers is a particularly kind of marmite voice. I think yeah, some yeah, people yeah. love her, and some people like yeah. can't listen to her, but yeah. She's so distinctive; you can't ignore her as well. I get, I guess, seeing someone like that and making the type of like folk and trad music that you were eyeing up is mm -hmm. just kind of um, reassuring, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. Like, she would have been, I suppose. Um, I, I, I suppose she would have been a big inspiration for me to actually move up to Dublin because she did this. She would have done the same thing from Kevin. Like, um, I think I remember. I think it was the Ray Darcy show I was on in my aunt's house one time and she came on and I was like, Jesus Christ, that's somebody doing something that I'm kind of aiming for and she's on the telly. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'll keep doing what I'm doing and be on the telly as well. Or maybe someday I'll be on the stage with the point of everything in the keynote. Um, <laughs> maybe someday here I am. So. So you were dreaming about the point of everything back in? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Dreaming Before about you. Before you even had a podcast. It's dreaming about you, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess the open book question now, uh, like, did you have any, ever have any doubts about what you were doing? Like, w was there a time after you released the EP or after you were releasing the music online where maybe it wasn't picking up traction as fast as you might have hoped? Like, it's kind of a waiting game, I guess, as well, yeah, when, you, yeah. when you start making music, is it? Yeah. Uh, in the words of Lisa O'Neill, it's a slow road. She said that to me before. It just, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of patience and just grafting and just listening to your own instincts again and just sticking at it. That's the main thing, really, like, um, not, not listening to people as well when they're giving you feedback. Was, was that a thing, like? Well, you get, you learn to, like, Un know what to feedback. listen to and what to take on board and what not to, like, you know. Um, you kind of you learn that kind of quickly. I did anyway. So yeah, it's just I suppose sticking at it. Yeah. Okay. So that part is out of the way. Like, what about the like the upwards trajectory? When was the point where it felt like things were picking up? Just because I think that you've had an unbelievable 2019. Like you've just been so busy playing all of the gigs. It seems like as good a year as an artist would hope for in the year that they release their debut album. When did it start? When did you start kind of thinking like? It's all working. It's all starting to come together. Was it kind of the release of Hungover at Mass last year that you were that 
maybe people started picking up on you? I don't know, like hungover at mass came out like. It was on it that was, first EP, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was around a while before it like got a bit of traction, I suppose. Um, I don't know, there was like, there was a few things that happened like over the past like year or so. I was like, fuck, this is another level now kind of thing. Uh, like, the fucking proclaimers like asked me to open for them in Vicar Street, which was gas. I was like, is this the same band? The twins like from Scotland. And I looked it up and I was like, yeah. So that was like, that was definitely a moment. And from there, I think it, like things started to, and I also like, I suppose the the point where things started kind of moving was when I, uh, Googie, my manager and booking agent kind of got on board and uh, put out the album on his label, Strange Brew. And from there, like getting that help was was a, was a great help in itself. And uh, I suppose you could trace all the stuff that's happening now back to that, really. Yeah, uh, like having someone who will who knows venues that'll put you on, as opposed to you sending out f- hundreds of emails, uh, getting no, no reply, which is quite exhausting, which we've all gone through. Like, um, it's, it, it's a great help to have s- someone who can give you a hand. So it was probably from there that I kind of saw things, or things, are, things are starting to work out, you know? Um, I could trace it back to being on stage in the Kino with the point of everything as well. That was... That was the point when I really thought, yeah, yeah, I've made it. Yeah. Um, you didn't feel that when we were emailing uh, earlier this year doing the interview, no? Oh, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, that album is uh, its one of my favourite uh, releases of the year. I think it's uh, brilliant, I guess. Thank you. I, I, I was surprised, maybe it's, it's just going back to that question earlier, like a folk album that, or a trad album that doesn't have any covers on it, like it's all originals. I mean, that's almost like a like an, a really interesting thing that you decided to do. Like, I presume that you could go into a session at like any bar where like any acclaimed like folk and trad musicians are playing, and you could hold your own. How come you w- was it ever a question that you weren't going to release an album of all originals? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it was. I never would have thought of putting like a traditional song on it. Because it kind of uh, it would have taken the album out of its world or, or something, um, and it's quite my own voice as well. I think so. Those nine songs kind of had to be had to come from me in a way. Maybe in the future I'll do something with more with traditional songs on it, but um, that album had to had to all come from me, you know. Just to, to, um, it just had to be my voice in every way, you know. I even I played all the instruments myself on it and stuff as well. Bar one, cello, Claire Kinsella played that from Lemon Cello, great band. But other than that, I tried to make it my own fingerprint, you know. And again, maybe another project won't be that so much and might have more traditional stuff in it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to pull the right rope to be my voice you know yeah um like my favorite song on the album is is one of my favorite things about that genre it's the longest song on there 
uh, its uh, purple circle, which is almost like a prog folk. I don't I don't know what you'd almost call it, but like uh, maybe talk me through the creative process of maybe that track and maybe generally how how you actually work these songs because this song in particular I don't know if, if everybody knows it here, but it's just it it stopped me in my tracks the first time uh, that I heard it. Well, thanks very much. It's again following your instinct, I suppose, and not being afraid to follow your instinct. That song is a long song, but like it just so happens to be a long song, do you know? It wasn't like I sat down and was like, I'm going to write a 10-minute song. It was like I sat down and just, just went with the pen and was like, all right, fuck it. I, I feel this is going to go this way. And it just kept kind of flowering and going different ways. But like I'd be influenced by songwriters that like don't necessarily follow a very set structure anyway. Like Robin Williamson from the Incredible String Band. <clears throat> uh, he's a huge influence on me. And uh, Joanna Newsom, as I said earlier too. Uh, just writers who kind of just, you're like, where the hell is this going? And that makes it unpredictable as well. And, um, and not, not, having, not having a set structure in itself 
lends itself to longer pieces, you know. But in terms of that song, I mean, I don't really remember writing it. Uh, but I do remember, like, finishing it and, like, recording it on my phone and then going to stop the phone and seeing time on the phone. It was, like, nine and a half minutes, and I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to cut that down. And I never did. Did you, did you try? Um, like, like where no, you think- I didn't. No, no, no. I, no, it, it, it's just, that's just the length of it. It's just, that's the way the song is, you know? That's what the song needs. Yeah, yeah. I was very nearly going to, not included on the album as well because I was afraid fuck it's my first album and there's a fucking nine minute song in the middle of it <laughs> but um, I'm glad I kept it on I think because it, it fits I think you know. sure then you see Lancome releasing their new album they open with a ten minute version of the Wild Rover had, and it's, had it's, to fucking it's do unbelievable a minute longer than that fucking pricks so we'll go 12 minutes maybe on the, on the next album yeah I'll, I'll have to go a minute longer again now to, to get one over on them yeah um, were you happy with uh, how, it, how it's all gone since? Did, like, like you said, like getting Googie on board and releasing this album, was it kind of like, not a whirlwind, but was it, was it just like really uh, pleasing to see that people were, were getting what you were doing finally? Yeah, finally. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Like when I was in the middle of, it took, I'd say, the best part of two years, like to, between recording and putting the album out, like it was ages, like. And like halfway through actually recording the album, I like, I like woke up like in a pool of sweat nearly in the middle of the night going like, I have no fucking money. Like, how am I going to, I actually have no money to pay for anyone. Uh, like, how am I going to put this out? Like, I was in the, and I was like, I can't turn back now. I was like drawing the door and I had no money at all. And then the label came along and we're like, we'll put it out. I was like, fucking hell, thank God. So like, Going from that point to being like, to people listening and engaging with it all over the place is amazing. Like, I'm very grateful for that, like, you know. And like, things like fell in, into my lap as soon as it came out as well. Like, the, the week it, it, the week the album came out, like, fucking Glenn Hansard, like, just messaged me on Instagram out of nowhere and was like, will you open for me in America? Uh, and I was like, waiting for the account that messaged it to ask for my credit card details. And then, like, I was like, no, it's the real deal. So that was, like, just when it came out. And then the fucking proclaimers again came back and was like, will you open for us in the, in the UK? And it was like, just, like, things fell into my lap and made even more people's ears get to it. So... It's been it's been great how it's gone since it, since it came out, you know. It's and it's still rolling now, like yeah, and it's something that I can still stand behind, and I think I'll always be able to stand behind the album, you know. I think it's interesting the the acts that are kind of asking you to support, just because I feel like as, as we go into twenty twenty, as we go into the next decade, it feels like genre is just less of an important thing. Like Glenn Hansard, The Proclaimers, uh, you've also played a load of shows with Lancome as well, and you're also uh, touring the UK, or Europe and the UK next year with The Murder Capital, who are like a very heavy kind of, um, I don't know, noise rock band, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and then you're there with your acoustic guitar and your tambourine opening up for them. It, like, it, it, it almost wouldn't have made sense 10 years ago, and now it's just like, you know, something completely different. Of course it makes sense. 
Yeah, like, um, I suppose it's, it's a credit to the acts, I suppose, for like, for seeing something in it that's not surface level folk or whatever. But it's, it's, not, it's not folk anyway, like, my music. Um, f like, folk music is music shared by f the folk people down through the ages. And then my stuff just is weird fucking strange music, nine minute long songs, you know. Um, so like, it's, it's, it's hopefully its own thing. Um, and I think that's why it maybe lends itself to being alongside different types of genres and music, you know. Because it's, it's not really, it's not really one thing, I don't think. But it's like, contained in the box of like folk music but then that's just the box it's in and it's actually not that at all really even though it seems to be you know you don't think people will be playing covers of junior brother songs in like a hundred years time talking about the uh the, how they were passed down from generation to generation no i don't know we'll have to wait and see i suppose <laughs> Um, what kind of stands out among those um, series of support slots? Like, what, and what was the reaction to the gigs that you played outside of Ireland as well? It was really good. Like, um, like with the with the the UK gigs with the Proclaimers, they were like very very large crowds, and they would get a very kind of broad spectrum of people coming to the shows. So from very young people to older people. Um, the great thing about those gigs were that you couldn't really see the crowd, so if people got up and left because they hated it, you couldn't notice, so that was good. Um, but, like, I noticed that people would kind of be like, what the fuck is this at the start? And then by the end of it, they'd be, like, really into it. So that was nice to see that. You'd kind of turn the crowd, but not in a way where you're like... Ah, everybody join in just in a way where they're they're drawn in themselves. So that was that was very encouraging. Um, but I played a while ago now actually. I I actually did a few shows in Germany, and uh, went on really well. But everyone thought I was singing in Irish, which was strange. But they still really enjoyed it. So that made me see that like it's like it's just. <laughs> You know, it's just music, and whether it's you know, it's quite an Irish sound, I suppose. My sound again on the surface, but you know, hopefully, it, the music itself is interesting enough that it kind of transcends that, and uh, hopefully, that's the case. You know, I guess it must be nice as well, just like touring around the U.S. with someone like Glenn Hansard. I mean, d do you get to pick his brains? Like, is he like? Come in, Ronan, and ask me some questions. You know, I'll tell. I'll tell you all about it. Uh, yeah, like, he, like, older heads seem to kind of give advice anyway. Um, he was very sound in general, just like making sure I was all right all the time. And I'd arrive into the venue, like, oh, how did, did you get here all right and stuff? How was your travelling and stuff? Uh, yeah, and, and great for imparting advice and stuff and. Very like just being sound generally. That was the most inspiring thing uh, I got from opening from these bigger acts. Is that just they're just normal people. Uh, they just happen to be at another level, uh, and there, there's that mystique is just 
the curtain is the curtain falls and you're just like these people are like me. Oh, it's grand actually. I don't have to fucking I don't have to I don't have to fucking be posing all the time in day to day life. That's just when I'm when these people are being photographed or whatever because it's illusory. Um, so the most encouraging thing about that was yeah the older heads passing down knowledge, and that's more inspirational than any sort of music at all, you know. It's a kind of daunting as well when you see someone with this larger-than-life presence like Glenn Hansard, who has this absolutely adoring fan base. Like, is it almost like, geez, that's a little bit too much for me now, you know? Like, like pull, pull the curtain back almost. For, like how the audience reacted to him, is it? Uh, yeah, like, is, is it something that you'd be like, well, that'd be too much for me, you know? That, that's almost too much success. Oh, I can't have enough success. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, like, I, no. I, like, if people are engaging with your music, they're engaging with your music, you know? It, that's, that can't be a bad thing, really, like. Uh, it'll be something different if, let's say, I suppose, you're playing to large audiences who are just there for, like, one song, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and they're, like, chatting through the whole gig and then the one song comes on and all the phones come out and stuff. That's a bit, that'll be a bit shit, I'd say. But, uh, I don't think I don't think that's that's happening to me. So um, that's a, that's a great thing. But again, if they're if you're playing to these big crowds and these big venues and they're engaging with the music and they're getting something from it, you get something from that yourself. So it's a win-win for for the audience and the artist. I think you know. Um, l like I said earlier, I feel that you've had just such a busy year as well um like all of the sports slots all of the gigs all of the festivals as well that you've been playing um you seem to me like someone who like would say yes before they'd even think about saying no is that is that kind of like your approach to it like yes <laughs> like you know you want to be like seen or playing all, all all of the time and did you ever feel like it got a little bit too much all of the traveling all of the playing over the course of the year did you ever feel like oh geez i, I need to take a break yeah, like um, this summer was fairly crazy. Like um, traveling, like gets quite exhausting, all right. And especially when you're on your own as well, you're kind of you've to you've to learn to kind of live with your own head a little bit. Um, but uh, what was the question again? Just kind of like did did you kind of have a little bit of burnout or anything like that over the course of the year? Yeah. Just just playing too much. Yes. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have. Um, I kind of powered through it, but like now, I've kind of learned to say no a lot more, you know, than I used to. Uh, as you said, I used to just try to play absolutely everywhere. Like I said at the start when I first came up to Dublin, like, and I was like, "All right, I'm up here now to pursue a music career. I better fucking gig my arse off," and that's what I did. I play anywhere, like, uh, I play at the fucking opening of an envelope, you know, or whatever, um, you know. But uh, then, thankfully, after gigging, you kind of gain momentum, I think. And I think now I'm able to I'm, I'm able to say no if I'm like, if it's getting too much, you know, uh, thankfully, you know. And, you know, e e each gig is just, is, is really good, like, which I'm very, very thankful for as well and grateful for. But you have to learn to say no for sure, yeah, because... There's no point going around being exhausted because that starts to affect the, affect the performance then. And then sure, 
sure the whole thing is gone then, isn't it? Uh, that happens. Do you have the next stage of Junior Brother in mind? Like, have you have you blocked off like a month or something next year where you're like, uh, okay, I'm not going to do anything that month. I'm just going to like write songs, see see what happens, see what the next thing is that I'm going to do. Or, or are you just like happy out just taking it as it comes now, like going on tour with Murder Capital next year? Yeah, like it's a weird one. Like at the moment, it's sort of like if there's like strike while the iron's hot and kind of keep going while the momentum's there. Like so, that's kind of where I am now. Um, but like, like it's quite and down now as it always tends to do over the winter. So, um, so like it's 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 all good now. I'm it's things are still rolling ahead, but it's not mental. Like, like I have a week off now. Um, this week after today, uh, so like that that was not the case over the summer. Like I would not have had a week off at all. So, I probably will block time off next year to work on the second album which I've already started work on anyway so I'll, I'll 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 block something off before the summer starts next year for sure I think yeah do, do you have a sense of what it's going to be of what like the new songs are are they different to what's on pull the right rope and the stuff that that's come before as well or is it kind of like <laughs> more of the same sounds like an insult but it's not yeah no it's it's um it's de- like I think the songwriting has matured a bit and uh, I've con- kind of gone two ways. I've gone in one way uh, more comfortable with like being kind of working with space, which I've always done, but just sitting in space. And then on the other side, I've kind of gone more into the atonal side. So those two sides are running parallel now with this new album. Kind of the atonal uh, and the abrasive kind of sitting alongside the kind of more mellower, um, kind of lyric-heavy stuff. Uh, but like that's just what I see in the stuff. You know, somebody listening to it might think it's just the same old shite again. Who knows? <laughs> and like, w- just coming back to one of the questions uh, I asked earlier, just kind of like the solitary experience of making music in your youth. I kind of think that like you seem to be someone that people really seem to be embracing when it comes to like creating something. Like I was just thinking of um, the work that you've done with Miles Manley, or sorry, um, Miles O'Reilly uh, on the Hungover at Mass clip for um, his show, uh, The Saint No Disco. And uh, you're at Sounds from a Safe Harbor as well, building a Kirk as part of this team, as part of this kind of like creative endeavor that kind of took place over the course of a week and even like most recently you're, you made a song with Maya Sophia that's um, on her new album Bath Time which is just out. Is it nice actually kind of feeling kind of ha- having someone else creative to kind of bounce off now that like you maybe didn't have when you were starting out? Yeah it's class like yeah again it's meeting like-minded people you know it's just it's a great thing and um, so I love about um working on music videos in general, and you mentioned Miles O'Reilly there, like, uh, that's, that, that's where I truly felt, like, for the first time, able to collaborate with, like, someone else, you know, on, like, visuals. Um, like, I did a music video for a song called The Back of Her After Video with Miles O'Reilly, and, uh, you know, he's someone I would have looked up to, and uh, I'm a huge fan of, like, and he he basically let me direct the video, like, and he said at the end, directed by Junior Brother, like, so like, that's, 
incredible to meet people who are that experienced and that talented and will also, you know, know when to leave, you know, the person they're collaborating with to take over, you know. Like, like I never fucking directed at anything in my life, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I would have made music videos myself, but, like, I didn't know what I was at. And then this, like, you know, renowned filmmaker, like, who I'm collaborating with, will actually let me take over when he's when he sees that I should, you know? So, like, I, for me, music videos, like, is the big kind of collaborative thing I've discovered that's um, not just me, you know? And, and Bob Gallagher as well is maybe... Bob as well, yeah, yeah. And maybe just putting a bow on, on Junior Brothers 2019, do you have standout moments from the year? Maybe like a gig that you've played yourself or, or, or a gig that you've attended? Maybe both. A mad moment was um, that festival in Waterville all together now. Uh, that, was, that was a ridiculously overwhelming moment. Um, how, long, how long were you queuing to get into the festival? Uh, oh, yeah. I actually... I actually didn't meet one car coming up because I went up the Saturday morning and everybody apparently came to the festival at the same time on the Friday and uh, uh, my girlfriend's brother it took him eight hours to get from Dublin to Waterford, eight hours. And then <laughs> the next morning we went in and literally didn't meet one car. So getting in was fine for us. But we, I was on at like two o'clock in the day on the Saturday and uh, we did the sound check because we were the first act on, and the ho- this huge cavernous tent, totally empty. And I was like, "All right, I'm going to be playing to the fucking insects in the grass or whatever." And then finished the sound check and went off. And then when I came back on, the entire fucking place was packed, and there were people outside the tent. Like there must have been over a thousand people there, like, and it was just like, it's ridiculously overwhelming moment. That was probably the highlight, I'd say, of the year, just in terms of, like, in the moment, going, like, what the fuck is going on?
Sang.